Ha, everybody. It is the Critical Diversion's weekly diversion. I never know how to fucking start these things. Did you, did you ever notice that? If it ever sounds like I'm really struggling to get into the flow, that's why. I have no idea what I'm doing, ever, in any aspect of my life. If that, if that isn't clear by now. Uh, what's the date today? The 16th, February 16th. This is the weekly diversion for the week of February 16th, 2024. Uh, you also might be able to tell, not only do I not know what I'm doing ever, uh, I'm also very tired today. Uh, my wife has worked a lot of early shifts this week, and I think I said this last week, usually when, when she works early shifts, I walk her to the subway. Even if I didn't, even if we didn't need to do that, I just don't sleep well when she's not here, so I'm wide awake <laughs> at like five in the morning um, whenever she works an early shift and yeah she's worked a lot of early shifts lately um, not only that I just got done I don't know like half an hour ago recording a Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze podcast with Seth and Eric over at All In uh, no better reason to get up at 6am than to Hop on a call and talk about Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze for the 10th anniversary. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit in the games, since that is a thing I played this week. Uh, but otherwise, you can look forward to that. I think that episode will be going up tomorrow, uh, Saturday the 17th of All In. Uh, yeah, so anyway, let's, let's start talking about some stuff for our podcast. Um, real quick, I have a couple updates on critical diversions stuff uh we've kind of turned this into almost like a this is me doing like a voiced uh I don't know, it's, a, it's almost like a a message in radio show at this point is what's happening and it's all because of sonic frontiers classic it would be because of sonic related things uh the past couple weeks we've had like an ongoing sonic frontiers discourse and i i asked last week not expecting any kind of answer uh, if Sonic Frontiers was actually good, because I still haven't played it, and I got like four separate people messaging me <laughs> in the past week, telling me their thoughts on Sonic Frontiers and if it is in fact good or not. Um, I still don't really know <laughs> what anyone thinks about this game. Um. It reminds me of that one scene from uh, a later season of The Office when Will Ferrell is going to be their replacement boss when uh, Steve Carell left. Um, and he's trying to like talk up Andy for like a sales meeting. He says, like, you go with this guy, you could be making the biggest mistake of your life. Or the biggest good decision of your life. It's either going to be the best thing you ever did or the worst thing you ever did. And that's the energy I get from the Sonic Frontiers talk. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I think I'm just going to continue uh, not playing Sonic Frontiers for right now. Again, I will play it at some point. Um, I, I think an argument could be made that it is maybe even more interesting that like no one can give me a straight answer on if it's good or not. Uh, but I, I, I hear you. I hear you. A lot of you that listen to this podcast... Uh, actually, whether it's good or not, you genuinely like and enjoyed Sonic Frontiers. Uh, I will give it a shot somewhere down the road. Um, 
I'm trying to think. I, I know Seth must have played the Switch version, and from what I remember of their review of it at All In, it sounded like the Switch version was pretty decent. I know it's not like 60 frames or whatever compared to the other versions, but yeah, I feel like I'd like to play it on Switch probably, but at the same time, maybe I, I don't know. We're not, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, anyway, if, if you have more Sonic Frontiers thoughts, you know where to find me. We'll, we'll just, every week we're just going to talk about Sonic Frontiers from now on. Uh, the only other thing critical diversions related or not games or news related, um, I don't know when we've been talking about this, like off the podcast or like in the discord or something about final, doing something for Final Fantasy seven rebirth. Cause I think a decent chunk of us are going to be playing it. Uh, for one, I'm, I'm, I'm totally down. If this wasn't clear, I'm totally down to do a game session or a games club session for uh rebirth. I just, I don't know what everyone it's you know, it's going to be a much bigger game than most games we do everyone's pace through it is going to be different uh i don't know if hunter actually finishes any game that he <laughs> plays so uh that that's mostly that's half a joke uh that's not i don't think hunter listens to the weekly podcast if he does hey that's not <laughs> that's mostly meant as just a goof but uh so uh, yeah that's my thoughts on it like i know justin's super excited but i don't think justin is interested in coming on the podcast I don't know what Hunter's schedule is going to be with it, and Wilk, I think, is planning on playing it. Um, we just have to see where we're at with that. Uh, that all said, Wilkins brought up the idea of, like, on one of the weekly shows, after Rebirth is out, like, when it's been out for a little while, that we could do, like, people coming on the weekly show to, like, do a segment or just talk about Rebirth more in-depth that week. Uh, I, yeah, that sounds great. I'm totally down for that for a couple of reasons. For one, it just sounds fun. Uh, but also I, I'm kind of always looking just to, like do different things. I'm not one that like always wants to do the same format with stuff. Um, like I said, I've even like looked or have, have tried to think about ways to even mix up the format of like the games club meetups, you know, like, now we're, we're doing this thing where I give like an overview of the games that we played before we like start talking about them. Um, and I, I talked about with the Yakuza one, I was thinking about for more narrative focused games, like take extensive notes and talk about the game, like on a chapter to chapter basis. Um, so I'm, I'm always looking to do different things with the format. And also I just, I think having guests on the weekly show is fun. Uh, speaking of which there was no Nintendo direct this week. Like there, so many people were saying there would be, uh, so that's why my wife is not on this week. Um, I'm guessing whenever there is a Nintendo Direct, I'm guessing I won't, based on conversations I had leading up to this week, uh, with her, uh, I'm guessing I will only be able to get her on to talk about the Direct, and I don't, I don't, I really think she doesn't want to come back on to do a full episode with me again, which is fine, um, we'll see when we get there, but yeah, uh, I think that's a genuinely cool idea, Wilk, to do, like, guests coming on the weekly show, and we can talk about that at some point as we get further down the road. Once Rebirth is out and more people are playing it, who knows? If enough people are playing it and the excitement is there, we can just do a full games club session. Or yeah, we can do a um, a, a weekly show, a segment on the weekly show. Um, yeah, I just kind of, I also just like the idea of like unshackling us from having to do a full games club meetup to, to, to like talk about stuff like that as a group. Um, 
that's also kind of what like you know we, we keep we talk about Sonic Frontiers every week, every week. Like I kind of like the idea of like this can be like this podcast can also be like a format where we can like kind of passively talk to each other in a way, if that makes sense, um, about games we're playing and updates and that kind of stuff. So yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out what we're gonna do with that. But anyway, let's talk about some games. Uh, it got a kind of weird list of games this week. I guess let's talk about Tropical Freeze, Donkey Kong Country, Tropical Freeze, since I already brought it up. Um, for when I played this game, like I don't know, like five or six times at this point in my life, anyway. Uh, Seth, it was like literally like two days ago, or not even two days ago. Uh, he was like, "Hey, I know this is last minute, but would you be interested in coming on to talk about Tropical Freeze uh, with me and Eric for the tenth anniversary?" This week, I was like, yeah, dude, of course. Uh, and then I immediately started a new file. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to play through this whole game. But I'm going to try and get as far as I can. No, I, I basically 100%ed it in like two settings. Could not put it down. Despite the fact that, again, I'm, I'm very familiar with this game. Uh, the only things I didn't do... What, the last like three levels in the bonus world that you get for... Um, you, get, you unlock it by beating the game and also beating all the Kong temple levels so you get to find all of the, the all four kong letters in every level then beat the kong temple levels and then beat the game and then you get the this last bonus world open i did get the kong letters in every level and beat all the kong temples but i did not i just it was late last night and i knew it was gonna be up early this morning so i'm just like, yeah, i just won't beat the last three levels uh in the bonus world i honestly i never thought those last three levels were like that interesting they're kind of like the weakest parts of the game to me i think for one because like the song is like the least cool song <laughs> in the game uh in a game that is full of amazing music that's not meant to be an insult or anything it just isn't nearly as cool to me as all the other stuff um but yeah i don't know man there's not much else for me to say especially i just got done talking with the boys for an hour about it so if you really want to hear me go in depth or me and seth and eric go more in depth into tropical freeze you can listen to that on the All In podcast tomorrow. I'm trying to think if there's any like specific things I wanted to shout out um, beyond just like how cool the level design in that game is, man. Like the, we bring it up multiple times on the podcast, but uh, this is the best like side-scrolling platformer of all time, hands down to me. I would go so far as to say this is just the best platformer, period. Like there, there's really, I don't know, there's nothing else to say about it. <laughs> like it's it's excellent. Uh we talk a lot about like comparing it to Mario Wonder on the podcast, and, and we go in depth into some specific levels. So again, I don't want to retread too much ground that I literally just covered. <laughs> um, plus, just I don't know on my own, it's not as interesting to talk about since I just talked about it with two other people. But hey, yeah, play Tropical Freeze, man. It it is an excellent game. It is funny that it. On the Wii U, when it was originally released, it came out at $40, and then the Switch version is $60, and is still $60. It, Nintendo games just don't really get price cuts anymore, so this 10-year-old game that originally came out $20 cheaper is still <laughs> full price. That new, that new funky mode, man, they, they, they gave you the, the funky tax on that. Um, next, Baldur's Gate 3. I finished my Dark Urge playthrough, and I immediately, 
I'm like, oh, okay. I think I might be kind of good on Baldur's Gate 3 right now. Like, that was kind of my, I don't know, like, we, we did it kind of thing. Um, I'm still going to play the our co-op tactician mode file with me or with, with my wife. Uh, or that me and my wife are playing. Uh, I still want to get the platinum trophy. And the only trophies I have left are a couple ending trophies and... Uh, the trophy for saving every tiefling in the game possible and uh, tactician mode, completing the game in tactician mode. So I still want to like make my way through that eventually, but like, I don't know, my wife, she's not always in the mood to play the co-op tactician mode file because it is so much harder. <laughs> um, like she, she, she likes playing the single player to just kind of like relax and, and try new character builds and stuff. And yeah, I've played so much single-player Baldur's Gate in the past couple of weeks, mostly with this Dark Urge file. That yeah, I'm kind of okay. Just like, yeah, I'm fine with this being like a, a break point. Not a breaking point with Baldur's Gate 3, but like, yeah, I have played over 500 hours of this game at this point. I can take a little bit of a break. Um, it doesn't feel like I've played that much of the game because it has been stretched out over the course of the past however many months, six months or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I finished my Dark Urge playthrough. Uh, I did not resist the Dark Urge. I think I said that last week. I fully leaned into it, mostly just because that's one of the ending trophies is, is getting the, the ball, um, ball spawn ending. And yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't, well, I didn't like that ending from like a character standpoint. It, I don't have any problem with it from a writing standpoint. Uh, I will say... The final fight was way harder on this single-player Dark Urge playthrough than it was for me and my wife on our co-op file, which I was not expecting. I thought, like, everything in my single-player files has been easier because I understand the game more. So I thought that would be the case here. It was not. <laughs> I was genuinely struggling pretty hard for a little bit there. Um, I I did, despite what I just said about, like, feeling like this is a good like a break point for me in Baldur's Gate. Uh, I did immediately start a new file because I, I, I do still kind of want to do a um, a Storm Tempest Sorcerer multi-class playthrough. And I still might do that here and there. But yeah, I haven't played Baldur's Gate at all since that day I beat it, which was like three days ago. Or I beat this, this run. So yeah, I don't know. Tropical Freeze and another game I'll talk about in a second have been like a nice... Um, I don't know, like ramp off of, of the intensity of Baldur's Gate. Like it's just been nice playing like way less uh, thought intensive games. Like, yeah, I'm just playing pure. Well, Tropical Freeze is masterfully designed, but it, it's still, I don't know. It's just so pleasant despite the, the difficulty level that it, it's just like pure cotton candy kind of in a way. Um, but yeah, I've also, I've been watching my wife play a lot of, her newest single-player Baldur's Gate 3 file, she, like I said this last week, she made a Dwegar, which that's like a a, um, a, a dark uh, dwarf. Like, like they're from the Underdark, so they have, like, gray skin. Kind of like all, like Drows and, and Deep Gnomes also have, like, gray skin. Um, they're kind of, like, most of the, the Dwegar that you meet as NPCs in Baldur's Gate 3 are straight-up fucking assholes, like, it's slavers and stuff. But there are a couple ones that are really nice, including, like, the Society of Brilliance in Act 3. Um, most of the members there are Dwegar, and, like, 
they seem much nicer than most of the other Dwegar you meet. Uh, anyway, my wife's been playing a Dwegar paladin. Uh, she did the the vengeance um, tenant or whatever you want to call it. Like she has vowed to eke out justice whatever way she can, but she purposely also wanted to do Oathbreaker, which is like, yeah, you you do something that, that kind of that goes against your your oath as a paladin, and then you get the opportunity to become an Oathbreaker, where it's like you lose your godly powers, but you gain something else. Uh, from what I understand, Oathbreaker is supposed to be like the more um, damage-oriented, more offensive-oriented paladin. Like if you want to play a damage paladin, you want to break your oath kind of thing. Uh, it's really creepy <laughs> when you do the oath break. Like you get a cutscene of like this knight with like flaming eyes that approaches you and is talking to you and it's really creepy also reminds me of when Baldur's Gate 3 first came out in 1.0 I was watching Giant Bomb play it a little bit and Dan Reichert the perennial goofball dummy uh, who doesn't like to read um, within five he made a paladin and within five minutes of that stream starting, he goes, uh, does anyone know how to unbreak an oath? Because <laughs> uh, I think he was just attacking random people in the world, which is very on brand for Dan Reichert. Uh, you know, I, Dan Reichert for so long was my favorite part of Giant Bomb, and probably he still is. I don't really engage that much with Giant Bomb anymore, uh, but I will say some of his shtick got like a little long in the tooth for me as I've gotten older. But does anyone know how to unbreak an oath is an incredible line, uh, especially in that context. Uh, I mentioned playing something else more lighthearted besides Tropical Freeze this week. Uh, yeah, I've been playing Saints Row 4. Uh, was it called? Re-elected edition or something on the Switch. Uh, that might seem real random, and I guess it is. This game is like... Also, like, 10 years old? I don't know exactly when it came out, but it was a 360-era game, I think. Maybe even more than 10 years old, I'm not sure. Uh, I originally played this on PC back in the day. Um, I think I also did play it on PS4. I think I got it really cheap on sale there at some point, too. And then uh, on Switch this past week, I noticed that Saints Row 3 and 4, as a collected unit, was, only, was on sale for less than $5.00. And I, I'd heard good things about these ports of the games. And I was just like, yeah, let's fucking whatever, whatever. I have that in gold coins. Might as well just do it. Um, so if you don't know, Saints Row... I never played the first one or the second one. But my understanding is the first one started off as like a... Kind of like a... It was an open world crime game. You know, in the vein of Grand Theft Auto back then. This was an early Xbox 360 game. And... From my understanding, it was more serious uh, in tone and whatever, which is very hard to imagine based on where the series goes. And then I think immediately 2 was apparently a lot more lighthearted. And then by 3, it was just full-on fucking stupid. Um, I've, I've played 3 and 4, both on PC. And again, I think I replayed 4 on PS4 at some point. Um, but yeah, those first three games, even if the tone changes, they are all open-world like crime games, you're jacking cars, you're shooting th people, you're getting rocket launchers, you're getting wanted levels and stealing tanks. But it, it is basically a more lighthearted and even more silly Grand Theft Auto, but without any of like the pretension, kind of. like The game knows exactly what it is, and it is not pretending to be anything else. 
Saints Row 4, however, is a Crackdown-like. And if you've never played Crackdown, it was like a, again, Xbox 360-era first-party Xbox game where you're like a, you got like superpowers or I don't know if it comes, your powers come from a suit or what. I never played it, but the, the main thing people always talked about is how much fun it was to just jump around and grab orbs and orbs are how you power up your character in the game. It is exactly the same in Saints Row 4. Uh, this, the, the plot of the game is that like your dumb gang banger character has become president of the United States and the rest of the Saints they're your cabinet and stuff, but also Keith David is your vice president. I know this sounds stupid, and it is, and the game knows it is, and I think, despite how I'm describing it, I think they hit, they, they nailed the tone of, like, it, it's not too, like, lol random, uh, at least yet. Like, the Keith David stuff, they, they know, like, it's not like they did it just to be funny on its own, like, they actually write around it. And they do a good job with it. I, I think for what for what the game is, I'm not saying this is like <laughs> like Baldur's Gate three level writing or anything. Um, so your character is president, and then aliens come down and abduct most like world leaders and stuff, and then you they they put you in like a simulation, and then like you're in like a Pleasantville style simulation. And then to break the simulation, you start like shooting people and stuff. And then it turns full on Matrix and, like, cops are turning into aliens as they try to kill you. Um, And then, yeah, it's also, like, Crackdown in that you have superpowers because you're in a simulation. And they they don't try and hide, like, the Matrix influence either. And you, you can just jump and fly and run at super speeds all over the place. It's even kind of weird because, like, yeah, you could still drag cars and vehicles and stuff, but, like, I never want to because I can just run faster than any car anyway. And, like, you use stamina, but even before you get upgrades, you your stamina lasts a decent chunk of time. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun jumping around a big open world playground and you grab these data clusters that are the orb equivalents and you spend the data clusters to level up your abilities and stuff. Like, I've played probably, like, six-ish hours this week. I've only done, like, three story missions. Like, I'm just jumping around doing side stuff and grabbing orbs or data clusters to to level my dude up. But, like, I already... I have all of my power upgrades that are unlocked. They're all fully upgraded right now. So I really should just do story missions. Like, I have over 400 data clusters in surplus right now with nothing to spend them on because you have to do more story missions to open up more abilities and stuff. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. The main thing, and like I remember this was the case to a certain extent, uh, the main thing that's so cool about this game and like why it's so much fun to engage in the open world stuff, besides the superpowers, uh, the soundtrack fucking is it's amazing. <laughs> uh, they've got so many good songs in here. They got the fucking, they got the boys are back in town. Uh, by Thin Lizzy, they got uh, What Is Love. I know What Is Love is, like, memed to death, but, like, I genuinely like It's the Night the Roxbury song, if you don't know, uh, by Hadaway. But I genuinely like What Is Love, maybe just because of the era I grew up in. Um, they got the fucking the presence of the United States in here with a lump. They've got, uh, what else do they have? It, it, like, almost every song in this game, I'm like... This is either very good or very catchy or both. Um, 
you can make your own playlist that just cycles through. I unfortunately I don't think there's like a way you can like skip to the next song, and I don't think there's like a shuffle option. So I do get kind of annoyed that like my playlist is like an hour long, but I can't just set it to shuffle or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because also like I'm just I'm not just nostalgic for like the music. Like like the boys are back in town is one of the greatest songs of all time. Uh, I always liked it, but I never really realized just how good it was until, I don't know when it was, like eight years ago or something, Wilkins really started talking up uh, Jailbreak, that album by Thin Lizzy that, that the boys are back in town is off of. And I'm like, okay, I think I was even driving to Nashville, or maybe I was running to Columbus to pick up Jim or something and then go to Nashville. And I'm like, yeah, I'll just throw this on. This Wilkins keeps recommending it. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, this album is genuinely, like, fantastic. It's a genuinely awesome album. Like, the boys are back in town. Yeah, that's, like, the song off the album. But, like, every song on there is pretty fucking good. Such a unique sound uh, for the time. Um, Like, when I was younger, like, that would come on the radio when I'm in, like, my dad's car. I'm like, yeah, this is, like, old dad rock, but it's, like, tolerable. Um, And I guess that's, that's partially true. But, no, like, it's... The Boys Are Back in Town is a genuinely awesome song. Uh, like, it's, it is interesting the way it's composed and stuff. It's genuinely fantastic. Uh, there's all these, like, side things where, like, you, you have to, like, platform up these, like, space alien platforms, like, way into the sky. And, like, you're climbing these spiral UFO things to get to the top and, like, deactivate whatever's on. I, whatever. It's just a bunch of bullshit. You're just... It's just an excuse to do, like, platforming in the sky on these abstract in- environments and stuff. But, like, yeah, your music is still playing while you're doing this, or it can be if you select it to. Uh, I don't know. There's this moment where, like, I, I reached the top as, like, the boys are back in town was playing, and I deactivated the, the alien platform, and the camera is, like, doing a dramatic, like, spin while, like, the, the alien orange is fading away, and, and my player character blue lights are, are replacing the orange, like, there's a sunset in the background. I genuinely got kind of emotional. I was not expecting that uh, from how stupid of a game this is. But, yeah, I love that song. The soundtrack is fucking awesome. Um, Switchport-wise, yeah, it, it it's actually pretty fucking good. Like, yeah, it, it, it looks way worse than I remember, and it runs at a much lower frame rate than the other versions do. But, like, it's basically, like, playing... Saints Row 4, like, on a low-end PC. <laughs> like, it, it totally works. Uh, I don't really have many issues. The load times aren't horrible. Even the initial load is not that bad. Um, you know, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, they're very impressive, but especially Tears of the Kingdom, like, when you dive down from the sky, uh, there can be, like, some stutters here and there as, like, stuff is loading in, which is not a problem, but, it, you know, it, it happens. There's none of that in uh, Saints Row 4, despite the fact that you're running around like way faster than you can in like a car or a plane or whatever w- with your superpowers. Uh, you're gliding through the environment. You can like see really, really far into the distance. There's no hitching or anything, at least that I've seen so far. And again, I've put like six hours in. Um, they added motion controls when you're aiming down sights with guns. And yeah, that's great. Even playing on handheld... You know, I don't like playing Splatoon in handheld because of the motion stuff. Uh, but in Saints Row, genuinely, yeah, playing in handheld and doing aim down sights and, and, and doing motion controls to adjust my aim, it, it feels real good. 
Um, yeah. I, you know, like I said, this is my third time playing this game, uh, somehow, which is weird. Like, I never revisit games like this ever, basically, and yet this is somehow the third time I'm playing through this. Yeah, it's awesome. For four fucking bucks or whatever it was on sale, I don't know if it's still on sale, uh, this is, like, the dumbest, like, again, cotton candy fun you can have on the Switch in terms of, like, open world, you don't need to think too hard, um... Again, the humor is, is hit or miss for me, but it it's mostly pretty ignorable. But when the humor is good, it actually is genuinely pretty good. Uh, there's this part in the opening. Again, you're the president of the United States. I, f I think it's Keith David or it's one of your cabinet members that comes up to you and they've got two bills. And they're like, hey, we only have the clout to get one of these through Congress. Which one do you want? And then it was uh, end world hunger or cure cancer. <laughs> And then uh, I selected Cure Cancer, and then I, I forget what the response was, but it was really good. It's like, it's like, it's like yeah, fuck cancer. I don't know. It's just very good. Uh, that genuinely kind of made me laugh. I think, oh, no, I think it was on the bill. You could see, like, when it's being held up to you, like, the bill, it's just called fuck cancer. Uh, that's very good. Um, the games also go other way to do a lot of, like, cool stuff with, like, like gameplay humor again when when you first get put into the simulation and you're in this like pleasantville-esque thing uh when your character's walking around they're doing like a jaunty like elbows up and like they're kind of flaunting around because they're acting like they're in like a fucking 1940s cartoon al johnson or something uh yeah honestly i i know you i don't know you probably hear if you haven't played saints row 4 you're probably hearing all this you're like i don't know but, like, genuinely, I think I could recommend this game to, like, anyone that just wants, like, an easy, like, goof-fuck-around goofy game that is open-world and is fun and you can just play on your Switch. Uh, I Yeah, uh, for four bucks, I literally couldn't recommend it more. It's <laughs> uh, just, like, a fun little thing to goof around with. Uh, let's see, Infinite Wealth. Me and my wife, we did play a decent chunk of it. I think that was, like, Monday or Tuesday. And then I've played more since just grinding because my wife has, she's been too tired to like want to play this or even watch me play and like have to do all the reading <laughs> that's required. Uh, to be clear, yeah, we always play Yakuza games uh, subbed and not dubbed. Not that that many of them are dubbed anyway, but um, we did beat chapter six finally. We are firmly into chapter seven. Um, some real interesting shit went down in the story. I'm starting to see, like, where stuff is headed, specifically, like, with Kiryu and, and all that. Um, I won't go into in-depth spoilers here. We did, um, we've changed the classes of just about everyone, I think. Uh, we changed Ichiban back to Hero, and I've leveled that, that class up quite a bit. Um, Chichose we made into the ninja. I forget what it's actually called. It's not called ninja, but it, it's basically ninja. Um, we do have Adachi back in the party because of story related things that happened and I made him the linebacker. I was very curious to see the linebacker skills and stuff. I really like it. It's a really cool, like tanky defensive class, which, which makes sense. Um, a lot of good, like football moves. There's one where if you time the button press, like he, he's getting ready to throw a football at an enemy's head. And if you time the button press right, it bounces off their head and hits other enemies <laughs> at the same time. Uh, so that's very fun. Uh, 
And then what did we... Or no, Tomizawa is still the Desperado. Because that, that that job is just too cool. Um, and then, yeah, I, again, I forget what the, the optional dungeon is called. Like Honolulu something or other. Uh, Honolulu Hideaway or something. It's it randomly generated dungeons that you... Good for grinding levels and stuff at this point in the game. Um, last week, we'd only done the first... Fully completed the first layer of the dungeon. I've now completed the second layer of the dungeon and the first half of the third. Uh, when I first went into the, the second layer of the dungeon, it was like recommended level 31 and we were only level 28. And that was a struggle at first. I think I had to leave. Like I leveled one time, like I have to leave and then come back. Uh, but yeah, once I got a couple levels in it, it was like no problem at all. Uh, I think, yeah, we went from like, again, level 28 at the start of this week to like, I think we're like low 40s now or maybe late 30s. And again, I'm halfway through the third dungeon and it's not a problem so far at least. So that's been fun. Um, discovered there's a whole Pokemon Snap mini game in here that I wasn't aware of. You know, much in the way that Dondoku Island is an Animal Crossing light thing that I wasn't aware of. Uh, Sicko Snap where you get on these trolleys and you have to get pictures of like perverts in masks that are like pelvic thrusting all over the place and gyrating all over the place. Uh, well, I didn't expect that. I had no idea <laughs> this shit was in the game. It's just so cool. Um, I don't know all the stuff that's, that they managed to pack into these games and such stupid things too. It's very, very fun. Uh, but yeah, since I'm not talking about the story, there's not too much else to update on. Just, yeah, we, 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 I have not forgotten about, about Infinite Wealth. Um, now that, like, Baldur's Gate 3 has kind of died down, for me at least, not for my wife, but for me a little bit, yeah, I'm trying to get more into Infinite Wealth. And even though I still want my wife to be the one that's mostly playing the story, I figured it would be good for her. Like, I'll just, yeah, I'll grind these levels out and you'll be way stronger. Oh, I got so much money uh, doing the Honolulu Hideaway dungeon stuff that I was able to get like way better weapons for Tomizawa and Ichiban and I'm saving up money to get another really good weapon for uh, Chitose like both Tomizawa and Ichiban's attack stat went up by like 130 something points with just one uh, weapon replacement which that's cool it costs a lot of money but yeah we have plenty of money because of the Honolulu hideaway stuff even when I get off this podcast and get breakfast yeah, maybe, maybe I'll just finish off the rest of that dungeon while my wife's gone. I'm not sure. Uh, the last thing, I don't even... I didn't know if I was going to talk about this at all. But why not? We haven't had a wife watch in a while. So, I'm going to cue that music. So, Monster Hunter Wilds was announced. When was that? The Game Awards? Um that spearheaded this campaign this return to world campaign where people are going back to monster hunter world is like a way to revisit and get themselves hyped for monster hunter wilds i talked about this on the podcast i don't know like a month or two ago when this started happening and i kind of lamented the fact that like yeah world is awesome don't get me wrong i love world i spent like 700 hours playing world and iceborne uh, but i always liked rise better i also get it like rise is the most recent monster hunter and Wild seems to be potentially hearkening back specifically to World, so it makes sense that people want to revisit World because we just got off of Rise. Also, I think most people prefer World to Rise. I've made my thoughts on that very clear. I prefer Rise a bit myself. 
but my wife also she also prefers Rise, but she still wanted to revisit a little bit of World, so I re-downloaded Monster Hunter World onto the PlayStation for her to play a little bit. Uh, we played it on PC together a couple or more than a couple of years ago at this point. Fuck, it's like four or five years ago at this point. Jesus. Um, so she started a new file on PlayStation, and she's just yeah, she's just making her way through the story. She isn't like super duper far. She's at like four star stuff. Um, so I've, I've mostly watched her play. I did get back on my file and play one hunt with Insect Glaive and stuff. And just getting used to the controls was a struggle because Insect Glaive specifically has a, like they swapped what what the trigger functions do between Rise and World. So my Rise muscle memory was fucking with my world playing. Um I don't have too much to say here, and I don't think people really want to hear me talk super in-depth about Monster Hunter World right now. Uh, I will say, both from watching my wife play and from the one hunt I did against two Anjanaths, uh, World is so much slower than Rise, and, and I think some people prefer that. I definitely do not. It's really hard to adjust back to. <laughs> uh, like, it, it is really, really slow compared to Rise, and you don't have, like, the mobility traversal options of the wire bugs from Rise. Um... Honestly, yeah, I find it genuinely kind of hard to go back to world after Rise. Maybe I would need more time to pass, or maybe, yeah, we'll see how I feel about, like, Wilds when that comes out. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I found it genuinely, like, not super fun to go back to. So I think it's cool for all the people that are going back to world and enjoying it more. Awesome. Uh, Y'all are wrong. Rise is way better. Uh, there are a lot of things that world does better, I think. And I think my ideal Monster Hunter would be somewhere between World and Rise. Um, mostly, like, World definitely has, like, a better atmosphere. Like, it, it genuinely does feel way more like you're actually on hunts, I guess, and, like, you're in this ecosystem, and, like, you are kind of interrupting. Like, you you are this, like, force of, like, interruption of, of discord in this ecosystem. But that also makes, like, the hunting less fun to me. I specifically remember even playing World back when it was new. Um, I felt bad for killing some of the monsters. And then that's not a, that's not an inherently bad thing that I feel bad. It's actually kind of cool that the game makes me think about it and feel that way. Um, but yeah, it is, you know, it's less arcadey fun for me. Which, again, not inherently a bad thing. But also, I don't think they were intending that. I don't think Monster Hunter wants you to really be you know thinking about the consequences of, of what you're doing like yeah you're just hunting t-rexes and dragons and whatever to try and get better materials to make better armor and weapons and hey don't think about it too hard but yeah uh i specifically remember fighting odogarin in world who is one of my favorite fights in the game and he has like his own little cave like you fight him in the rotten veil which is just like a gross place in general. It's like a big giant decaying elder dragon or something that has like turned into its own ecosystem and it's very poisonous and rotten down there as the name would imply. And Odegarin, uh runs off to his lair when, when he's weak to, to sleep and, and regain health. And I don't know, it just felt so sad to me that like I'm, I'm killing this thing. Like it's just a creature that's trying to live in this world, you know? Um, again, I think that would actually be cool, and maybe they should lean into it more. But yeah, I, that's definitely not the intention. They just want it to be like, yeah, you're going to his lair to fight it to finish the fight. Isn't that cool? 
and yeah, again, it kind of is, but yeah, it made me feel sad. But anyway, yeah, my wife's been using sure her favorite weapon. It used to be the horn, but I think after Rise, the great sword became her favorite weapon in Monster Hunter, which is interesting. It's like the slowest weapon in the game. Uh, I'm not good with the great sword. I've only tried it a few times to be fair, but yeah, it's. You, you, your bread and butter is like charging up your attacks. It takes a really long time to charge, not even fully, your your greatsword swings. Um, you can tank hits by doing a tackle while you're charging. You can only do this tackle while you're charging. So I think you still take damage, but you have super armor. So like it's it's a it allows you to continue charging your attack. In fact, I think if you successfully tackle into an attack you instantly get, like, a charge off of that, I think. Um, yeah, she, my wife, fucking loves, like, the ebb and flow of great sword fights in Monster Hunter. And, yeah, watching her play, I'm like, man, this doesn't really make me want to play World, but it does make me want to play Rise and learn how to play great sword. Uh, she's even talking about, like, hey, do you want to play Rise, but maybe start a new file in Rise? I'm like, oh, I thought you just wanted to, like, just play some Rise. But, yeah, we could start a new file uh, if we end up doing that, I'll probably just try and learn new weapons instead of just keep playing Glaive and Sword and Shield and stuff. And I think Greatsword would be pretty high up my list of things I want to learn. Also, Charge Blade. I think Charge Blade looks so cool, but I'm really intimidated by Charge Blade for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, it's just fun to learn new weapons in Monster Hunter. Like the first time I started learning Gunlance, which is literally like a lance, but like there's me mechanisms that like can launch you into the air and stuff. Uh, that was really cool. And I was like, damn, why didn't I try learning this sooner? Um, but yeah, I think I think that's all I have to say about Monster Hunter World and the Wife Watch. And consequently, our games for this week in general. Uh, I'm going to take a break. I could use some water. I think I say that every week <laughs> at this point. Uh, music this week, because it's on my mind for obvious reasons. From the Donkey Kong Country Tropical Free soundtrack by David Weiss, we've got Frosty Fruits in a Snowbound Land. So stick with us and we'll talk about some news.
Welcome back. It's still me. It's still the news. It's still February 16th. I promise. Um, if the audio quality is worse, you'll have to apologize. It's super hot in this apartment right now. Um, I was sweating real bad recording with Seth and Eric. Probably because I had just gotten back from walking my wife, wife to the subway. It's not like it's hot outside. It's like low 50s. Um... I'm large and hairy and I sweat real easy. So at that point, even in the low fifties, I start having, I can't put too much, too many layers on and all this stuff. I, I just get way too hot. And yeah, I, I wanted the audio quality since it's not my podcast. I wanted the audio quality for all in to be as, as good as it could be. Uh, I do not have that concern <laughs> with this podcast. Um, you all just got to deal with it. If you, if you hear cars going by sometimes, or if fucking ambulance sirens start... Hey, you'd hear the ambulance sirens anyway. You just might hear them a little clearer with the door open right now. I'm at Our desk, uh, it's literally... I'm right next to um, our door onto the balcony, or the deck, or not the deck, patio, I guess. Um, so, yeah, any... We're, it's funny, the street we're by or the street we're right off of is not that busy of a street, but apparently fucking every ambulance in the world has to go by. <laughs> we are near a police station. We're right next to a police station, basically. But anytime you ever hear sirens while recording this podcast, it is almost always uh, ambulances and not, not police sirens. Anyway, with that out of the way, let's get into some news. Um, maybe... Let's start with let's start with like the the sad news. Not for once, we don't have anything like too angry to talk about. I think um, I just want to get this out of the way because it's the only one I need an external link open for. Um, so the Suikoden and Ayuden Chronicle uh, scenario writer Yoshitaka Murayama uh, passed away. Uh, that was on February 6th. And this is off of RPGsite.net. Uh, this was reported all over the place, but this just had the most concise information. Um, I'm just going to read the official English statement from Rabbit and Bear Studios that um, RPG site posted on their, on their website. Um, it's just very sad all around. I think it was reported that he's he was 55... And again, Aiden Chronicle is the spiritual successor to Suikoden, the beloved PS1 era Japanese RPGs. And this is was Aiden Chronicle is a Kickstarter success, and it's been in the works for years, and it's out in just a couple months. So it's real sad that uh, he passed right before it came out. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna read this statement from Rabbit and Bear Studios. Hello, everyone. It's with a heavy heart and deep sadness we must inform you that the scenario writer and head of Rabbit and Bear Studios, Yoshitaka Moriyama, has passed away on February 6th due to complications with an ongoing illness. Moriyama first began this journey of the creation of Ayudin Chronicle 100 Heroes in 2020 through the support of his very loving fans on Kickstarter. Throughout the three-plus year development of the game, it was always the passion from his fans that continued to drive his creative vision and motivate him to put all his to put his all into the project. His hard work on Ayudin Chronicle as scenario writer was finished, but as his co-workers and friends, it saddens us to know that he won't get to see the reactions from his fans. 
However, even with those feelings, we need to accept the reality that he is no longer with us and continue to push his dream forward by releasing Aiden Chronicle to the world. We want to maintain his legacy and vision with this game and know that he would have wanted the rich world he has created with Aiden Chronicle to live on. His family sincerely appreciates your prayers and support, but asks for privacy and that no flowers, mail, or, or other offerings be sent. We will have more information on organizational changes to Rabbit and Bear, as well as changes to some of the Kickstarter rewards in the future. For now, we appreciate your continued support. Signed, Rabbit and Bear Studios, Junko Kawano, Junichi Murakami, and Osamu Komuta. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just very sad. Um, we've talked about Suikoden and Aiden Chronicle on the podcast a few times. Uh, my wife, Suikoden 2, is one of her favorite RPGs ever. Um, she's really looking forward to both Aiden Chronicle, again, the spiritual successor to Suikoden 1 and 2, as well as the HD remasters of Suikoden 1 and 2. Uh, both Aiden Chronicle and those Suikoden remasters are slated to be released this year again. Aiden Chronicle, that's like in April. I think April like 26th or something. So yeah, that's just real sad. Uh, 55 is way too young to go, and it's it's weird to be living in this world now where like game developers are going to start passing more frequently. But again, this is, this is not natural causes. This was like some like organ failure stuff going on. and Yeah, it's just sad. I was going to save that for the end originally, but I thought... Maybe we'd get this out of the way first. And hey, rest in peace. Uh, you created some beloved games. I am looking forward to watching my wife play Aiden Chronicle. That last trailer they put out looked fucking awesome. Again, my wife and I talked about it on the podcast when she was on like a month ago. Uh, but yeah, rest in peace. Very sad shit. Next, Splatoon 3 side order previews went up this week. So, again, this is the DLC, the paid DLC for Splatoon 3. We didn't know too much information about it beyond, like, thematic stuff and, like, visuals, what was going on previously until this week. It's out next week, I think the 25th or something like that. Um, it's a roguelite. <laughs> like, it's a full-on roguelite mode where you have to ascend 30 levels up this tower. Um... So, for one, that's just an interesting period, but, yo, we've been waiting, or at least I, I've been waiting to see Nintendo's take on, on roguelite format for quite a while. So, not only is this cool in that sense, but, like, yeah, the fact that they're doing it in Splatoon is awesome. You know, I remember when Bowser's Fury was announced, but we didn't know any details about it for a while, there were rumors that that was going to be, like, a Mario 3D platformer roguelite, which... Yeah, that sound, sounded awesome, too. Uh, it was not that at all, really. <laughs> it was open world with uh, a giant evil Fury Bowser appearing uh, here and there to alter the state of the world. But, um, yeah, there's not much for me to say here beyond, like, I wasn't... I was probably just going to watch my wife play Side Order uh, back when we thought it was going to be, like, the Octo expansion for Splatoon 1, where it was just, like, linear kind of straightforward more single player splatoon hearing that this is a roguelite i i i'm probably gonna get this it's only 25 bucks for the dlc uh i haven't pre-ordered yet but i think i'm going to in the next couple days maybe this weekend my wife and i have been playing a lot more salmon run the past week um which is like the the wave based um 
co-op multiplayer in Splatoon. Uh, yeah, th this is just very exciting. Like every time you beat a floor, so like you 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 choose which floor you want, or rather which challenge you want on each floor. They get it seems like they always give you an easy, medium, and hard uh, challenge whenever you start a floor, and then you get upgrade chips, and then install those chips, and then like the different colors of chips. Not only does that like determine like what thing on you what stat of yours is being upgraded the, the one i know off the top of my head is like the light blue chips upgrade your drone and your drone launches like super attacks and stuff for you uh pearl uh it also changes like the color of your hair and your ink you know much like splatoon in general uh my wife is just really excited from a visual standpoint like it's so cool how everything is so white and then like what little color there is is coming from your ink and your hair and it's like still very pale like very pastel almost um, she is very excited about this, and yeah, like I said, I am too. I I don't know why I never it never even crossed my mind that the Splatoon three DLC was was going to be a roguelite thing, but that's really fucking cool. And yeah, I'm really excited about that. Looking forward to that. Uh, again, I didn't write down a date, but it's next week. It, I don't know what date it is, but it is next week. So on next week's podcast, you might even hear me talking about it a little bit. We'll see. Uh, next, we'll stick with Nintendo news for a minute. Uh, they put out another trailer for Princess Peach Showtime, and this revealed some more, I don't know what you call them, like transformations for Peach or outfits for Peach that give her different abilities. Uh, these were Figure Skater, Dashing Thief, which is basically just Carmen Sandiego or yeah, Joker from Persona 5, uh, Mermaid, which has... Uh, for one, the fan art, people are going crazy already. My wife was already <laughs> wanting to draw Mermaid Peach. But also, yeah, she's singing. So it's straight up like Ariel Peach. And then Mighty, which is like superhero Peach. But she's got like, like, like she's flying through space and has like these like futuristic like fists going on. Uh, and this is joining the already revealed uh, Ninja Peach, Cowgirl Peach, Sword Fighter Peach, Detective Peach. Patissier Peach and Kung Fu Peach. I don't know why I decided to add Peach <laughs> to the end of all those words. Uh, I don't know. I guess it, it was kind of fun. Um, again, I still don't really know what the gameplay or structure of this is. It really just kind of looks like... Like, it definitely does not seem like as in-depth. People keep comparing this to Kirby. And the only, I do see some like market similarities and that I, I think they are trying to appeal to younger and even a female audience. Obviously with Peach, it's trying to appeal to a female audience, but like based on what little gameplay we've seen, I don't think this is going to have the depth of a Kirby game. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't be fun and especially when it's meant for like a younger audience or whatever, I have no problem with it. But I'm still not, like, excited about this game. I've made that clear on this podcast multiple times. But, um, for one, yeah, all these outfits and stuff are very cute. I think, uh, I feel like Ninja Peach is probably, like, the favorite of, like, the du of dudes. Like, gamer dudes. Like, people that are, like, too old to be seriously talking about what their favorite Peach outfit is. Um, I personally, I really like Patissier Peach, uh... And I guess out of these new ones, I feel like probably Figure Skater Peach is probably the coolest one to me. Um, the music in that section of the trailer was was the best. 
Um, but yeah, the game looks very delightful. Again, I'm not necessarily planning on playing it myself. If it's something my wife wants, it's out a little couple weeks after her birthday. Maybe I'll end up getting this for her for her birthday if she's interested. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, the game continues to look delightful. But yeah, it, it I don't know. It's it's kind of from what little we have seen, it seems like it doesn't have that much meat on the bone. So I'm not, like, super-duper interested, if that makes sense. God, we're kind of flying through the news this week. We're already basically through everything except an update on all of the Xbox shit that went off last week. Which, um... Hey, shocker and spoilers, turns out <laughs> that the, the world-ending scenario that people were writing in their own head last week uh, turned out to not be true. So that podcast from Xbox went up last night. I haven't watched it yet. I've just, I've read summaries. Uh, it went up shortly before I went to sleep last night. And then I, I updated myself a little bit. Um, yeah, last night. And then when I woke up this morning. Um, so basically, I think the biggest news and, and the direct response to all the rumors going, going around last week is that Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, Confirmed that as of right now, four first-party Xbox games are coming to Switch and PlayStation. However, he did not reveal what they are yet. <laughs> Which, uh, I guess I kind of understand because this is also an Xbox update. You know, like, it's... I think the Xbox podcast, I assume, is mostly for consumers of Xbox. You know, so Xbox games coming to other systems doesn't necessarily appeal to the audience that's listening to this podcast normally. So I guess I kind of get it, and yeah, let the developers reveal it when they want, I guess. There were also, again, I mentioned before, there are rumors that a Nintendo Direct was happening this week, and that maybe a couple of these games were going to be revealed there, but then Nintendo delayed it or whatever. I don't know that I believe like any of that stuff or whatever. It, it sounds like there was a Nintendo Direct planned for this week that got delayed because of this Microsoft Xbox thing. Um, but not necessarily because of, like, announcements were going to be made at the Nintendo Direct either. Uh, that said, Tom Warren, who is a senior editor at The Verge, has said that he's heard those four games are Hi-Fi Rush, which, you know, we, that was, like, the Kickstarter of this whole rumor mill in the first place. Um, Pentiment, Sea of Thieves, and Grounded. Um, so Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment in particular, that's fucking awesome. Those are definitely the two I'm most interested in playing of these. Uh, Pentiment feels like it went like real under the radar. When was that? Late 2022, I think? Um, it, for one, it looks awesome. It has a super unique art style. It, it kind of looks like old like medieval illustrations. Um, if anyone listening to this... I mean, I know Boogs listens... Uh, if you like Disco Elysium, I think this is like a medieval-esque Disco Elysium. It is a like point-and-click like computer RPG with I, I I believe like stat checks and stuff like that. So if you're looking for your next Disco Elysium hit, there aren't that many of those nowadays. Um, Pentiment might be up your alley, and yeah, I really like the art style of it. Um, Hi-Fi Rush that was released. Uh, during, it was a shadow drop on to Game Pass at an Xbox event like a year ago. And it's like a rhythm-based, like, 
action combat game that people I feel like really like. Um, I kind of avoided watching much, if any, footage of this game beyond the initial trailer just because it seemed cool, but I wasn't planning on playing it. But now that it's coming to Switch and PlayStation, apparently, reportedly, um, I'm probably going to play this at some point. Uh, sea of Thieves and Grounded, those are both more games as a service E or live service games. Uh, sea of Thieves being from Rare and Grounded... I don't know much about Grounded. I know that it's like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids-esque, like you get shrunk down, and then it's a lot of like, it's like a survival game, but you're shrunk and you're going to kill lots of like bugs, like ants and spiders and stuff uh, to craft new armor and weapons and blah, blah, blah. Uh, my wife, a couple years ago when Grounded was new, she was big on like watching streamers play Grounded. I haven't, I forgot to even tell her that apparently Grounded is coming to other stuff. She was actually interested in playing it. Um, she loves like insects and that kind of stuff. So it makes sense that it would interest her. So I don't know if she actually wants to play it or not, but at the very least she will be interested to hear that it's coming to other stuff, including potentially Switch. Um, yeah, to, like I said, to me, Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment are the big wins of those. It feels like more people need to play both of those, including myself. I've not played either of them. Um, yeah, that was like the big update for it. it it's nothing super interesting. Uh, and then Phil Spencer basically said that every first-party game going forward, first-party Xbox game, will be looked at for potential multiple-platform multiple release on a case-by-case -case basis. Um which makes sense. He, from what I understand, he didn't outright deny the possibility of stuff like Starfield and Indiana Jones coming to PlayStation 5 or whatever, but did not confirm any of that. Um, there was a, a slight update in the middle of this week. Uh, Nate Drake, who's like a relatively reliable insider and, 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 I don't know, industry analyst, I guess. I don't know exactly what you'd describe him as. Uh, he did, he kind of walked back, uh, that Starfield would be coming to PlayStation. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make any of that. It doesn't really matter to me too much. I do imagine that probably everything is being talked about. I mean, Phil Spencer basically said that, that basically every Xbox game is going to be looked at for a potential multiple platform release going forward. Um, whether that actually ends up happening or not is another thing entirely. Uh, other stuff coming out of this. Activision Blizzard games will be coming day one to Game Pass, including Call of Duty. So that's, yeah, that's that's pretty huge. And it's kind of what I said last week, right, of, like, it's oh, if every Xbox game did get released on other hardware, I still think Xbox has enough of a unique offering, even without any exclusives, um, to, to entice people to buy their console. That's mostly Game Pass, right? Like... Again, if you only buy a couple games a year and one of those games is Call of Duty, you instantly can just, you can get an Xbox Series S or X and Game Pass and you're already saving money, you know, uh, just off of that. Uh, and then Diablo 4 is coming to Game Pass in March. I think they gave a specific date. I didn't write it down here. I don't think it's that interesting that Diablo 4 is coming to Game Pass, but I'm sure there are plenty of people that are excited about that. Um... He did talk about, or at least give kind of hints at, like, future Xbox hardware. I think, 
I doubt this was planned to be talked about, but because of all the reports and all the, the people freaking out, he felt the need to basically say, hey, no, we're still making Xbox hardware. Again, it's kind of why I said last week, uh, I barring any crazy shit happening, I would be very shocked if we don't get at least one more Xbox the way things stand now. Uh, he said something about like it will be the biggest technical leap that we have seen in a console generation ever. We'll see about that. I don't know. Um, apparently, there's also been a lot of hints about uh, potential Xbox handheld devices. Uh, Phil Spencer's apparently been liking a lot of tweets about handheld things. I don't know. Um, he apparently also addressed the idea recently of like stuff like the ROG Ally and, and, and these, these handheld computers that have been coming out specifically for games. Uh, the past couple of years that he wants Windows to be able to run better on devices like that and be more optimized for for devices like that, you know? Um, to me, I also took the, those rumors we talked about last week where, like, Xbox wouldn't be producing their own hardware anymore but would be, like, willing to license the name and, like, the operating system out to other hardware manufacturers that want to produce their own Xboxes. I wonder if it, if that rumor is true or has merit and it's about a handheld Xbox. Like that makes way more sense to me than Xbox is completely leaving the hardware business. Like, no, they're going to continue making their, their consoles, but yeah, maybe they will license out the Xbox brand and OS to uh, other handheld manufacturers. I think that makes a lot of sense and yeah, in, in in my head, that is that has to be where those rumors were coming from or originating. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think that's it. I think we actually have a shorter episode for once, boys. Um, yeah, it, it's just funny all the meltdowns, a complete fucking societal meltdowns on the internet over Xbox reports last week, and it turns out that things are basically the same as they were a week ago or two weeks ago. It's just that a couple other, a couple smaller games and a couple live service games are going to be ported to other things. And frankly, going forward, like live service games should probably be multi-platform always. Anyway, I know, uh, like Marathon from Bungie, and Bungie is now owned by PlayStation. That I think is confirmed as coming to everything. Uh, Destiny Two is still available on everything. It doesn't make sense if you want your game as a service you want your live service game to be successful i think it's like basically a prerequisite that you have to be multi-platform at this point even if you are a um a hardware manufacturer it just doesn't make sense i i, I don't think there's too many multiplayer games nowadays you know like it's not this isn't 20 years ago and everyone that owns an xbox just wants to play halo you know like there's a billion fucking multiplayer games out there and you, you stretch your services too thin or you search your games library too thin and, and every there's going to be just a few people playing every single game, you know? It just doesn't work. Um, so I think all of this makes sense and is smart. And if, if I'm being honest, I'm much more tempted to get an Xbox next generation as of right now than PlayStation. I think PlayStation has dropped the ball in a lot of ways. We talk about this in the podcast pretty frequently, um, though not so much the past few weeks, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've been very disappointed with PlayStation performance, uh, PlayStation's output, and, and just their general, I don't know, design philosophies the past, like, five years. Uh, 
Um, hell, if it wasn't for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, I I don't know. Like I, we use our PlayStation a lot more now than we did a few years ago. Um, between Elden Ring, Baldur's Gate, uh, Infinite Wealth, and about to be Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, it finally feels like PlayStation is actually hitting some kind of software stride now. But yeah, it took fucking years to do that, you know? Um, and I know that like my gaming tastes don't align with much of the mainstream gaming t- I mean, I say that, but, like, Baldur's Gate 3 has sold millions of copies, and Elden Ring sold, like, 20 million copies. Like, it's not like I'm playing niche games either, you know? And I, for my taste, I, I genuinely, not that Microsoft is putting out things more in my taste, but at least they have, like, Game Pass <laughs> and stuff, you know? We'll see, though, because, yeah, if, like, for instance, Final Fantasy 17 or if part three of the Final Fantasy VII Remake trilogy is not out until the PlayStation 6, I'll probably feel obligated to get a PS6 <laughs> uh, to finish off that trilogy at the start. But we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, I think these are all smart moves by Xbox, and I'm, I'm pretty critical of, you know, you know me, I'm bitching about something on this podcast every week, uh, and, 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 and I don't know. Maybe I do that too much, but I, I think these were smart moves. Um, I might even still listen to the podcast just to hear the specific things that Phil Spencer has to say. But yeah, I think these are all smart moves. Um, it just doesn't, it their business doesn't work um, when they are the third place in the console market and they just spent $70 billion acquiring Activision Blizzard King. You need to be a multi-platform publisher at that point. You know, it just, do, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> So I think they've made that clear. I think they've done a good job of, um, I don't know, expressing why it doesn't work. At least for me, they've done a good job of expressing why that doesn't work. Anyway, that is it for this week, everyone. Um, If you have comments, ongoing comments on the Sonic Frontiers debacle, uh, feel free to message me. I'm sure people will. Otherwise, have a good weekend, have a good week, and we'll be back next week. Hopefully, there'll be a Nintendo Direct next week, and then I can convince my wife to come on, but if not, we'll still have a normal show. See you, everyone. Bye.